Hello, and welcome to episode three of Crime Note. How are you all doing? It's the third week into January, nearly two weeks into lockdown. How's life going, guys? <laughs> I'm going to guess your answer there and say, hang in there. <laughs> Although this year has started rough, we go into it with a vaccine and Trump being banned from Twitter. So, you know, I have some hope. <laughs> I have to say, guys, I have never felt more complimented on my voice since starting this podcast. Like, I never thought my speaking voice would be something that I value the quality of, but, you know, keep those compliments coming because I'm all for them. Again, I have to say that I'm really, really heartwarmed by all the lovely feedback. You guys just love true crime and I'm not even mad about it. It is good to know that I am not the only freak out there. I have had a ton of suggestions on cases so I'm working my way through that list slowly but you know do do get in touch like if there's any case you want me to cover I will add it to my list. Today's case was suggested to me by a very good friend Toby who is all the way from Germany so thank you Toby and sending you all the positive vibes from here in crappy England. (laughs) Anyway Disclaimer, I do not intend any harm upon the families involved in these crimes. Everything in this podcast is information that is really available on the internet. This episode includes content that some listeners may find distressing and disturbing. It involves talk of the murder of a child, so please let this be your warning. This is a big one. I've decided to stop apologising for cases being heavy because, well, frankly, they're all going to be heavy, aren't they? (laughs) And after last week, I made it sound like I was going to choose a lighter case, but that's not what I'm about here on Crime Note. The more shocking, the more I have to cover it. So welcome to today's episode, the case of James Bulger. Today's episode brings us to England, 1993. Now, I'm almost certain you will recognise this case, or at least recognise the images in relation to this case. So keep that one in mind, because when I was researching... I definitely remember some photographs from this case, even though this happened three years prior to my existence. Let's start with James. James Bulger was born in Merryside, England, which is in Liverpool, which I didn't know because I'm from the south and anything above London I don't know the whereabouts of. (laughs) Sorry, guys. James lived with his mother Denise and was a gorgeous little boy. Like... Every photo of him, he is smiling, and honestly, he's just the cutest thing. Such a cute little boy. On Friday the 12th of February, 1993, this is just a few weeks off of James's third birthday, by the way. So, you know, bear that in mind. Denise and a friend went to the Strand, which is a shopping centre, with little James to do some shopping. At around 3.40pm... Denise and James went into the butchers to get some dinner for the night ahead. And in the process of exchanging money to the cashier, Denise let go of James's hand. By the time Denise turned around, in a matter of seconds, James was gone. Panic immediately sets in, and she frantically begins to search for her son. A tannoy announcement was made by the shopping centre to put out a description of James and ask for his whereabouts. 
Like, I'm pretty sure every parent has had a story of a time they lost their child in a shop. Kids, like, especially toddlers, go wandering off all the time. Even more so if they spy, like, a toy shop. Like, I know I can speak from experience, I used to work in a nursery, specifically with two to three-year-olds. And, like, you just blink, they're off. Like, you cannot catch them. They are speedy little buggers, (laughs) like... So it's pretty common for kids to go missing in supermarkets and shopping centres because they can run off and get really excited. But unfortunately, this Tannoy announcement brought back no information of James's whereabouts. So then the police were called. And as soon as they were contacted, the search extended to beyond the shopping centre. This shopping centre was next to a main road, so there was a worry he could run out, maybe even into the traffic so concern for his safety was pretty high. This search carried on near canals and obscure paths as, like, he's two, he's two years old, guys, like, he could so easily just fall into the water, so the search team were leaving no stone left unturned. Meanwhile, Denise was taken into the police station to give her statements, but by nightfall, there was absolutely no news about where little James was. And as time went by, it was becoming clear that this was beginning to look like an abduction more so than a case of a child walking about. The following morning, the police got their first lead. It had been 24 hours after James was last seen. Denise and her family had been at the police station the whole time, just agonisingly waiting for any information. The shopping centre reviewed their CCTV footage, and upon doing so, they found images of James leaving the shopping centre with two young boys. Like, in 1993, the CCTV footage, it wasn't what we know to be now. Like, you know, it was grainy, it was pretty hard to make out. Like, you can see all this CCTV footage, it's been released. But luckily, it was clear enough for Denise to identify James's outfit. Initially, James's family were comforted by this. I mean, you know, what harm could two young boys be? Maybe they just wanted to play with James and were keeping him secret at home as a friend. Maybe, you know, they found James. James went off and he got lost, so they were trying to find his way back. Which is totally understandable. Like, if you saw that, you would think, oh, phew, he's just gone off to play. Like, what a relief. It's not some middle-aged man. And he was holding hands with the boys in the footage, so by all means, it seemed as though they were going to get James back. Denise took to public appeal to beg for her baby boy's safe return. I managed to find a clip of it, and it's honestly heartbreaking. Like, she just looks sick with worry, bless her. But despite the appeal and the release of CCTV images, nothing was heard and the pleas fell on deaf ears. So the police knew they had to find the two young boys in the CCTV footage. They narrowed their search to boys between 10 and 18, but were more inclined to believe the boys were around 14 years old. Local authorities were contacted to see if these boys were recognised or often in trouble with the police. However, in this particular area, it wasn't uncommon for young boys to be in trouble with the police often, and they fell amongst the many. But despite all of this, all the searches, all the CCTV evidence, all the appeals, on the 14th of February, Denise received the worst phone call she could have ever imagined. Just two days after James's disappearance, his body was found on a railway line nearly three miles away from the shopping centre by a group of children. 
firstly, my heart really goes out to those kids that found James because, God, like, that's that's going to stay with you for life, isn't it? Like, especially later on when we find out kind of what state James's body was in. Because of this, the search for James turned into a manhunt for murder, with suspects being two young boys. Three miles is a long way to walk a toddler. Like, how? Just, just how? Like, have you ever tried to walk anyone under the age of six? Because within two minutes it's, I'm tired, my legs aren't working. Like, I honestly, I don't know how they got him that far. Police tracked the route from the butchers to the railway line. And they would have had to climb up a railway bridge. So, like, this wasn't just a walk. Like, there was intent to get to this specific location. Police knew they were dealing with some serious, malicious children who had real intent on doing this crime. They questioned over 60 young boys between the age of 14 and 18. Which, to be honest, in the CCTV footage, they do look around that age. They do. Like... I would have said at the very least early teens, but we will find out that this isn't the right age bracket that they should be searching. A few days after James's body was found, a member of the public contacted the police after seeing the CCTV footage in the news, stating that she recognised one of the boys. She stated that this boy had skipped school that day with a friend, and James was abducted on a school day at around the time children would be in school or at least just leaving school. So, it seemed like a pretty big coincidence. Police immediately set off to arrest these two boys for questioning. One of these two boys was also seen to have paint on his shoes. Paint that was found at the crime scene. So keep that aside while we go into that later. Police did have their doubts about this duo being the culprits. As they were only 10 years old. So, they set off to question them in hopes that they could eliminate them from the suspect list. So while one of the team of police officers went to question the boy who was recognised, 10-year-old John Venables, the other team went to question 10-year-old Robert Thompson, who was identified to be John's friend. They were both taken to separate police stations for further questioning. So let's pause here and look into this duo because I haven't given you any information about them yet, apart from their names and ages. Let's start with John Venables. John was one of three siblings. Both of his siblings had learning disabilities. John was the middle child and growing up with siblings, he would adapt behaviours of his siblings' disabilities because this is what he deemed as normal or even he could see that this is what would get them attention. Like, children's brains will clasp at anything to get attention. They literally need just attention to survive. <laughs> like... Although, by all accounts, it seems John's mother was kind and caring to all of her children equally, it didn't stop the neighbourhood children being nasty to John because of his siblings' disabilities. Ugh, children could be so nasty, like so, so nasty. This clearly distressed John. His school life suffered for this, and his behaviour lashed out. His behaviour soon led to him hurting himself with scissors in class, or smashing his head against tables and walls. Like, it almost seems to me, as someone you know, who's undergone special educational needs training, it seems to me that he's mimicking this behaviour. Like, maybe this is something that he's seen at home with his siblings. He clearly, like, isn't having a good time at the school. He's getting bullied. He doesn't have many friends. The children are really nasty, and he's probably really jealous that his siblings are together in the same school. 
So Tamir almost seems like he's doing this in hope it will get him transferred to a special educational needs school with his siblings. Eventually, his behaviour got him expelled from the school and he was transferred to a different school and was put back a year into Robert's class. Robert Thompson, on the other hand, well, Robert was one of seven children, lived in a very, very busy household and there were reports that Robert's father was abusive towards his mother and repeatedly had affairs with other women. So clearly, Robert doesn't have a healthy, stable home life. Robert's father left the family, offering no support to Robert's mother with the children, which soon led to Robert's mother down the rabbit hole of alcoholism. And what happens when children don't get the love, care, support and attention that they need? They act up and attempt to get the attention they require. Social workers were aware of this family situation and were constantly in and out checking that everything was going okay. Robert missed a lot of school because him and his brothers began skipping. They weren't given much consequences at home, so I mean, why not? What else do you do when you're that old? But consequently, this led to Robert being behind for his age and led to him being held back a school year and just generally being educationally malnourished. As far as I could find, him and his brothers were extremely nasty to each other and as a result, it led to Robert becoming quite the bully of the brothers. Now, as I mentioned, John was put into Robert's class and of course, these two had a fair bit in common. They had both been put back a year, so were older than the rest of their classmates. Both had trouble at home and felt abandoned, so it was inevitable that these two would become best friends. So anyway... Back to our timeline of the boys being pulled into the police stations for questioning. Immediately, Robert began producing what a detective claimed to be crocodile tears. He stated that it was all John's doing. It was John's idea. He was the one to physically take James. He stated he begged John to take him back. But overall, police stated he was very hard to question. He kept changing his story, telling random lies, etc., Which you may think, well, yeah, he's 10, and that valid point, granted, but I honestly believe that in this interview, Robert knew what he did and what he was doing. I think he fully well knew that he was trying to shift the blame onto John. Meanwhile, John had a different approach. John claimed he hadn't even been at the shopping centre that day. He was adamant he had nothing to do with it until day two of his questioning, where they told John that Robert had admitted to being at the shopping centre, when John suddenly changed his tune and began to also get overly emotional. Now, there are a lot of documentaries on this case, and some even include the audio of the interview with the boys. So let me tell you now that it is haunting. Like, firstly, they sound so young so young it's heartbreaking to even hear them being questioned like no child should should be in this position like what's what's gone horribly wrong here but then you hear their emotional outbreaks and they honestly don't seem genuine to that of a 10 year old boy like yeah i don't know maybe it was shock maybe there's some mental health issues going on there and they didn't understand how to have empathy i don't know But after day two of questioning, John made one of the first admissions to the crime, stating, Yeah, yeah, okay, I did kill the baby. Can you tell his mum I'm sorry, please? Yes, 
I did hurt the boy. Ooh, doesn't that just send shivers? However, Robert states that he didn't inflict any harm on James. He declares that he did take James with John and walked him to the railway track and watched John assault him, then simply left to go home so he never saw James die and had nothing to do with his death. He just merely observed. Meanwhile, John was stating the same, that he didn't hurt James, it was all Richard's doing. In the interview, you can hear John say, Richard threw bricks at him, but he kept getting up. He wouldn't stay down. Let's take a second there. He wouldn't stay down. Like, I heard it on the clip, and I immediately went cold. Because that's quite a statement to make, isn't it? He wouldn't stay down. <laughs> like, you know, that kind of tells me that they didn't want James to get back up. You know, he wouldn't stay down. Oh, so it kind of shows me that there is intent to see him, at the very least, seriously hurt. But along with the verbal confessions, there was also forensic evidence such as blood on John's shoes. So, the police were able to piece together what happened. To summarise for you, John and Robert took James from the shopping centre and walked him almost three miles. The whole way he was crying for his mum as John and Robert bullied and assaulted James. In court, it was stated that over 38 people witnessed the three boys on this walk to the railway. That is a lot of people who could have intervened there. But the boys had a plan that if anyone were to intervene, they'd come up with the story that James had fallen over, and that's why he was crying and bloody. They were simply taking him home to his mum. As if this couldn't get more sinister, the boys had premeditated hurting a younger boy this day. Their day started by shoplifting in the shopping centre, when Robert turned to John and said, Let's take a kid. Their original plan was to push a boy in front of the cars on the main road, by the shopping centre. They had tried to abduct another boy earlier that day, but were unsuccessful. They state that they tried to push James in front of the cars, but it didn't work. So they headed down to the canal, where they planned to push him in and drown him. But somehow, this didn't work either, and James ended up with a head wound from this attempt, hence why he was all bloody during their walk to the railway. Once they arrived at their destination, they began to horrifically torture James. Reports state that Robert had more of a role in the torture of baby James than John did, but it's not 100% clear. They definitely both had a part to play in it. And without going into too much detail on this part of the story, the boys spent a long time torturing James, throwing paint over his face and eyes, kicking him, throwing heavy bricks and stones and eventually dropping a 10 kilogram iron bar on James, where he sustained 10 skull fractures. The pathologist reported that James suffered so many injuries it's unclear as to which specific one caused the death of James. But it's clear that this was a horrific, tragic and malicious murder on baby James. The boys covered James's body in rubble, so that it would go unnoticed by trains, and hope it would seem like a train would be the cause of his death. After the boys left James's body, a train passed, cutting his body in half. But it was clear from the pathology report that he died due to beating prior to being struck by a train. Like, 
Guys, I cannot express how much deeper this goes. There is so much more that these boys did to little James. But honestly, I read it and I couldn't even bring myself to repeat half of what was done. Like, it was horrible. So you can imagine that tragically, it does seem like there was a sexual motive behind this case due to the way James's body was found. Although both boys deny it. To me, it's pretty obvious that there was some sexual motive here. And later on, it kind of comes into play with how John goes on in life. So, the information is out there, but honestly, I really, really wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Like, this case is absolutely mentally disturbing. The things these two boys, boys, 10-year-old boys did to baby James. Like, as I mentioned earlier, this is a pretty well-known case in the UK. I certainly recognise the images of all the boys involved and remember the story of two young boys killing a baby on a railway but nobody talks about what the two boys actually did to James and rightly so because it is really horrific like definitely one of the hardest I have ever had to research and I certainly didn't know the extent of the harm inflicted upon James so yeah you know you've been warned guys I cannot imagine the state that James's body would have been in at the end of all of this Remember, a group of children found James's body, so I really, really feel for them, because that must have been so traumatic, and obviously the family involved as well. Both boys were charged with abduction and murder, and the attempted abduction of the earlier stated boy from the shopping centre, and first appeared in court just ten days after the murder of James. As you can imagine, the boy's identity were first protected due to their age, This case caused a huge uproar amongst Liverpool. The public were disgusted by the horrid crime and gathered in hundreds to throw things and scream their anger outside the court. And obviously here in the UK, the age at which you can be convicted and punished by law for your actions is 10 years old. So had they been just like a few months younger, they would have, you know, not been punished. So So John and Robert were child in court like does anyone else remember turning 10 and their parents being like oh watch it you can be arrested now (laughs) no just me okay the trial of the boys lasted 17 days and by this time the boys were 11 years old they were both found guilty for the murder of james bulger this makes the duo the youngest convicted murderers in the uk Along with their guilty verdict, the judge decided to release the identities of these two boys, releasing their names and photographs. However, the judge stated that this information was to be the only information known about these boys, and when they leave prison, they will be given new identities. But how long were they sentenced for? I hear you ask. Both boys were sentenced to eight years in prison. Eight years for the horrific murder and act of inhumanity. It's a tough one, guys. Like, they're kids. (laughs) You know, what sentence do you give to children? Like, this would make them 19 when they come out of prison. That's them able to, you know, still have their whole lives ahead of them. Personally, it's just not enough time. Like, when you really read the details of this case, it is nowhere near enough time. 
As well as this, both boys displayed a vulgar attitude in court. They were seen laughing and smiling throughout their sentencing. This understandably caused a huge uproar, to which their sentencing was reviewed, and their sentences were extended to ten years. And still the public were outraged this just wasn't enough time. So after a petition that was hosted by The Sun to extend the boy's sentence even further, which, you know, this is probably the only good thing to ever come out of The Sun, so well done there. <laughs> this petition raised over 280,000 signatures, and it worked. The boy's sentence then extended to 15 years. But this was done by the government, not by criminal law. So, unfortunately, it was deemed unfair and their sentence was reduced back to 10 years. Like, can we just appreciate how hard that would have been for the family of James? Constantly yo-yoing the sentences and deeming that 15 years is unfair when their baby was murdered. Both boys were put into a separate child offenders units and they were under strict supervision and locked door for their safety against other offenders. It stated that this young offenders unit was filled with video games, TV, movies, and it was deemed more like a hostel rather than a punishment for murder. The boys received one-to-one tuition for GCSEs and A-levels, which of course was paid for by the taxpayers' money, when most families can't even afford one-to-one tuition. Like, come on, it's a bit of a joke. I'm all about rehabilitation and, you know, being able to give these guys a head start into becoming good citizens when they are released but what is this teaching them like what are they learning here they're essentially being rewarded in my eyes like maybe it's different because they're children I don't know it's it's a hard one to know where to stand morally but both boys were often allowed out of prison for day trips to go to the shops go swimming see family like what like I understand they're trying to teach them how to be adults and be responsible, but honestly, it just feels like they're being rewarded because they're finally getting the attention and care that they needed from the start. Both boys were raised in a family where trips out, new clothes, constant attention and games were not possible. And as if this didn't seem fair already, I hate to break it to you guys, but in 1999, when the boys were just 16 years old, the European court decided that the boys' original trial wasn't impartial. And because of this, the boys' sentences were reviewed again. And the boys were released just six months after this review, in June 2001, making the boys 19 years old. The boys were given complete new identities and discreetly relocated. They were strictly prohibited from contacting each other and were unaware of each other's new identities. But, surprise, surprise, after this clearly strict punishment. Nine years later, in 2010, John Venables re-offended. Police found child pornography on his laptop, which makes you revisit whether there was indeed a sexual motive behind James. He was charged with possession and distribution of the indecent images of children, downloading over 57 images, as well as posting them on a paedophile website. Like, the fact that there are even websites out there is grim. It's a lot of back and forth with the former known John Venables, as he's kind of in and out of prison for various offences, you know, ranging from drunken fights to drug offences, and even revealing his identity. 
But in 2018, he pleaded guilty to possession of indecent images of children for a second time. Like, the information is out there on how many images he has and of which category they fall under. But honestly, guys, I would not recommend looking it up because it's a lot. He has a lot (laughs) of, like, category A, B and C. Like, I just wouldn't. Yeah, it's horrific. He was sentenced to a further three years and four months in prison, which means he is due to be released probably this year, if he hasn't been so already. We won't know because his identity will be changed yet again. However, despite Robert being the leader in most of this murder, he was actually successfully rehabilitated and has not yet reoffended. It's clear to me that their rehabilitation wasn't that successful. Like, what did they expect from giving boys basically constantly free time to play video games and do whatever they want. And there we have it guys, that was the case of James Bulger. I'm also really sorry if it's Bulger because I looked in a couple places and maybe it's an accent thing. Uh, Bulger, Bulger, so you know, I'll leave that there. This is probably one of the worst cases I have ever gone into detail about. It's pretty grim. Like, I had to stop halfway through researching this case. <laughs> and I, I turned to Monty and, and my boyfriend and I was just like, yep, this is, um, this is a big one. <laughs> but, you know, well done, guys, for making it this far, because that was pretty heavy. So thank you again to my friend Toby for suggesting that one. It certainly, you know, was interesting and had a lot in there. And as Toby is from Germany, I decided to research five bizarre laws that are still around in Germany today. You guys seem to like it last week when I did the British one, so let's see what Germany has to offer. Number one, it is forbidden to tune a piano at midnight. Like, it's bloody bizarre, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Like, it's totally fair enough. Number two, it is forbidden. All of these are like, it's forbidden. (laughs) Sounds about right. Number two, it is forbidden to keep urns at home. This law is slowly being eased across the country, but yeah, mortal remains should be deposited in a designated space, which is fascinating in my opinion. Number three, saying do to a police officer will get you fined up to 600 euros. This actually means you, but there's two ways of saying it. You can either say Z or do, so make sure you say the right one guys. (laughs) Number four, it is illegal to run out of fuel on the autobahn. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, always be prepared in that. And number five, last but not least, it is illegal to cycle whilst drunk. I am, like, so behind this one. Like, honestly, it makes no sense to me how it is legal to be drunk and cycle on a road here in England. Like, it almost defeats the point of don't drink and drive. (laughs) Because surely you have less... Like, you you don't have any control, do you? So, to be on two wheels, which is kind of unnatural anyway as human beings, and you don't have any balance, you can swerve and... Ah, oh, yeah, sort it out, England. I mean, that's not the first thing we need to sort out, but, you know, sort it out. So there we have it, guys. Episode three of Crime Note. I am going to do my absolute best to make sure next week isn't a case about a child, because I think we've had enough, really, don't you? <laughs> I do have a huge list of suggestions to get through, 
but like I said earlier please do get in touch it means a lot that you guys are you know excited for more content it's really really cool so a massive thank you to listening you guys are honestly so kind with the feedback you're giving you're giving me so yeah like you're fab give yourself a pat on the fucking back you are thriving and surviving and I'm proud of you so stay safe guys and I will catch you next time bye don't be afraid come with me